0: Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about what every design leader must know. As a product and UX expert for more than 20 years, I'm so very excited to have this talk. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zoukawi, a product innovation and value curation expert, and I have a very, very special guest. I'm honored to have Jesse James Garrett with me. Hi, Jesse. Hello. Jesse is a design leadership coach, and I'm going to tell you a bit about him if you don't know. Jesse is a world-renowned UX expert co-founder of groundbreaking UX design consultancy called Adaptive Path. He wrote an influential book, The Elements of User Experience. These days, is an independent leadership coach working one-on-one with leaders of UX design teams to help them grow themselves as leaders with intention and purpose. And now Thank we you. can start. We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and i invite so invited to join the discussion. And I have my first question. I read your latest article a few months ago, and it's called UX Design is More... Is successful than ever, but its leaders are losing hope. Where Mm. did we go wrong? So tell me about that.
1: Well, uh, this article came out of a lot of the conversations I was having with design leaders about their needs. As I was um, working, working as a coach, working with them one on one, Um, it really shifted my focus away from the needs of larger organizations toward the needs of the specific leaders because I found that um, in my experience, the skills of those leaders were the most critical factor for the overall long-term success of those teams. And so in having conversations with uh, a lot of leaders out there about uh, the challenges that they were facing, I I discovered that a lot of them were really down. There was really a lot of a lot of discouragement, a lot of disillusionment, a lot of negativity about uh, how things had gotten to the state that they'd gotten to, which in a lot of people's minds uh, was falling short of the, the promise of user experience, especially the promise of u- user experience earlier in their careers before they became leaders. Yeah. And now they find themselves in this position where they, uh, they had these leadership responsibilities Uh, at the same time that they are kind of losing their enthusiasm in a lot of ways for the practice because they, at at this point in their careers, have been, you know, struggling for a while to, um, you know, to create positive results for themselves and their teams.
0: Yeah. First, I want to say that I totally understand what they're talking about because many of my friends come from, you know, Design, UX, and I know many Mm -hmm. of them. And I I wonder, is it something that maybe they can reach with high expectations that they don't meet or in the past it was different and now it's something else. So how do you see that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, for um, especially for the last um, the last 10 or 15 years, uh, UX has just uh, the tide has been continually rising as there have been more and more and more people piling into the field, more and more organizations that were incorporating UX practices into how they did digital product development. And uh, that rising tide has kind of started to slow as design has gotten closer to the top of the pyramid uh, in a lot of these organizations that, um, that the, uh, the ready progress and the rapid wins and the escalation and growth that uh, a lot of leaders got used to, uh, to your point earlier on in their careers, um, is not so much there anymore because the uh, the field, I think, has gotten to a, a certain state of maturity where uh, there are not as many people just being, um, you know, promoted up into VP of design roles left and right the way that they used to.
0: Yeah. So I don't know many of the VP of design or uh, maybe it will call will be called product and most most of the people in VP of product will not come from design as I know. Yes. Yeah. That's so true. maybe it's connected to the fact that we have more product people. Like twenty years ago, we yeah. didn't have this specific role in most of the organizations, right?
1: That's yeah. No, that's very true. I think that um, that uh, the product people have um, stepped in and filled an important gap in uh, in our processes, but um, design hasn't necessarily adapted to that new landscape and that new reality. And uh, yeah, I think that probably a lot of design leaders have to adjust their expectations of what partnership looks like in their role and what um, success looks like um, yeah. in their role because it doesn't just belong to design anymore uh, the way that it used to.
0: Do you think that they have less influence on the product itself and what is like created in their companies?
1: I think in a lot of cases that's true. Yeah, I think that um, I I think that a lot of it depends on how strong the UX team's research practice is. If a UX team has a strong, healthy, robust research practice, and importantly, if the larger organization has a culture that Encourages listening to your research findings, yeah. Because uh, that part is important too. It's not not it's not yeah. enough just to do the research. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, you know, uh, if you have those things, then UX can balance product more effectively because UX comes in with a point of view. Um, I think that the UX teams that struggle are the teams that didn't really ever develop a point of view of their own about the. Nature of the product, the direction of the product, the um, the nature of the problem and the solution, Uh, and that you know, because they didn't have a point of view, that made it very easy for product managers to come in and say, "Well, I think we should do it this way," and then design didn't really have you know an alternative to offer, and so uh, product management ends up end up ends up sort of having more influence as a result.
0: Yeah. I can, I can say only about the design scene here in Israel. Maybe it's mm-hmm. very different than the U S but in design we have like more usability in UX people in the past. Now it's more what we call UI UX. And then it's yes. like the same as the designers and the people doing research and, and the high level functionality, it's all like flattened into just deliver the design in
1: the end. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I would say that that's one of the big things that's happened is that as, um, there's this um, kind of foundational UX work, which is around um, research, developing insights, uh, and uh, asking questions, and following those questions, and 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 nurturing, and cultivating, growing your understanding of the problem as you go. Um, so this sort of there's this one mode, this one model, which is I would think of as being the more Uh, historically dominant model, which was the model of, is really driven by inquiry and seeking understanding. Um, But uh, we did eventually have to deliver a design at the end of the day. And so our, our delivery practices have gotten really robust. And now you can build entire teams that just do the delivery piece. And you don't even have to think about that other piece. I mean, you should. You don't have to, and if you don't have to, then a lot of organizations will. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's how you end up with these um, these teams, which have had these gigantic sort of design delivery machines uh, that aren't they aren't doing any of that research inquiry. They aren't actually um, doing any design work that's that's insight driven. And now, because the because of the way that their systems are set up, they can't. Because they're yeah. locked into, you know, we just got to keep keep moving the designs along, yeah. you know, and getting delivering. It up, uh, we, and get we need to up. deliver, 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 deliver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, why do you think user-centered design did not pave the way for user-centered enterprise?
1: Oh man, that is a big question. That is a complex question. I think there are a, mm-hmm. a bunch of pieces to it. I think that. Uh, I think, that, I think that we collectively, uh, the people who have been involved in trying to make headway for user-centered enterprise uh, for the last 20 years, uh, I think we underestimated the, the scale of the challenge. Uh, and I think especially we underestimated the scale of the resistance to what we had to offer uh i think that i think that in a lot of cases because we are (laughs) we tend to be uh idealists you know we really we're creative.
0: we're thinking big we're thinking differently and
1: absolutely absolutely and we tend to operate as user-centered as human-centered designers we tend to operate from a place of uh generosity toward our fellow human beings. We tend to operate from a a place of uh, assuming the best intent, assuming goodwill, assuming uh, that uh, mutual understanding is possible. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, when it comes to some of this stuff, you know, I think that a lot of teams feel like, you know, we'll go out, we do the research, will get together a bunch of insights, and then the and then the insights will speak for themselves. They will be so clear and compelling that uh, the, the executive team is all just going to like, boop, 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 all the light bulbs are gonna go off across everybody sitting around the table, and they're just gonna turn around and boom, they're just gonna give design exactly what they want as a result. And mm-hmm. it's more difficult than that. And, you know, honestly, I think one of the big challenges that, uh, that design and design leaders face is that people can say no to you and they don't have to have a reason. Of course. It's not even that they don't even have to have a good reason. They don't have to have any reason. They can just yeah. say no and you're just stuck. And so yeah. uh, all of your arguments and all of your, the, your pure thinking and your pure conceptualization they just don't matter if you're not able to bring the people around who have to be okay with what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think that um, a lack of attention to the relationship building that is required to actually drive to good design work and not allowing, not leaning on the design work to speak for itself is uh, one of the biggest things that I think, um, we have not given enough time, energy, space, attention to as a community. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I totally agree that sometimes the ability to convey the ideas and to persuade people to why did we do these things is much more important than the result. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes when you learn about UX, there is a big emphasis on visuals or about a way of thinking or doing research sometimes. But actually, if you want to lead something in, in any company, you need to know how to do it. And yeah. sometimes you yeah. don't get um, the permission or you don't have the power to do so. And sometimes even do, you do have the power, but you are not really uh, succeeding in, in persuading people to, to listen to.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, I, I think, again, because so many uh, so many design leaders become design leaders because they were really good designers. Um, And what that means is that they often would kind of prefer to stay designing and not have to think about those kinds of things and not have to work on those things. And uh, again, honestly, because there's been so much need and demand for uh, for designers in, in general, a lot of people have been kind of pushed into leadership roles Without a lot of preparation, without a lot of experience. Uh, and a lot of people end up in design leadership roles without ever having worked with a design leader that they could successfully model themselves on. You know yeah it's like yeah. like well, I was the first designer hired by the company, and the company was so successful that they needed to hire three more designers. I was the only person who knew anything about design. So I ended up as their manager and, you know, here I am five years later and I'm, uh, you know, head of design and I don't even know what that means or how to do that job. I've never even worked for a head of design before.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Do you think it's connected to the skills or characteristics of a designer? We said that they are more creative, they're thinking open-mindedly, yeah. high level, visually, and yeah. which in sometimes when you need to be in, in leadership roles, you need to be more practical. You need to know how to persuade, to speak, to tell a story.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, you can't expect people to come meet you where you are as a design leader. You have to go to where they are, which means that you have to meet them at their level of sophistication, meet them at their level of understanding. Uh, and that in turn means that you have to have more than one way to tell your story. You can't uh, rely on just one sort of one perfect formulation of what you're trying to do and expect everybody to buy into that. You have to be uh, flexible and uh, be adaptive enough to be able to uh, spin it and to be able to understand how to communicate with lots of different kinds of teams that have different kinds of communication styles. Uh, I meet a lot of people who see the way that communication happens, especially at the executive level in a lot of these large organizations, where executives are moving through so many decisions at such a clip that uh, they don't have time for depth. And for a lot of designers, a, you know, a decision maker who doesn't have time for depth is just it's anathema to the way that we're used to making decisions. And, uh, and we have to be able to shake off that, those sort of moments of culture shock, cultural friction that happen yeah. as we come out of our design culture and we engage in the larger business culture and trying to get things done.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me about some of the challenges that designers face today. We said some of them, we discussed some of them. Did we miss some of
1: them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, in my, in the early days when we first started out with Adaptive Path and we were evangelizing user experience inside organizations, the, um, the main thing that people needed support with was championing the idea of user experience inside their organizations. And uh, so, at Adaptive Path, a lot of our work as consultants was like, how do we turn people into the best possible internal champions for these ideas that they can be, so that the ideas can continue to advance and grow. Um, Then, as as we sort of moved out of that phase of the development of the field and the practice, we, uh, Started to get to the place where we were now sort of championing processes and practices—the best way to do it. Now, we've gotten everybody to agree that we should do it. Now it's how. And so there has been was just like this whole long stretch of evangelism around practices and and different methods for eliciting user insights and different methods for prototyping and different methods for creating more efficient efficient. Uh, approaches to delivery. That's how UX got all mixed up with Agile. Um, And so it was very sort of methodological there for a while. But in the last few years, we've gotten to a place where the methods are pretty mature and the practices are pretty well understood and pretty well documented. And there are enough people with enough experience uh, doing this to be able to confirm, yeah, you know, we actually have some things figured out from a methodological perspective. We have some ideals figure out. The, uh, the realities are, of course, always messier than the ideals that yeah. we're reaching for. Uh, and that was actually, it was that was that realization was part of the shift for me toward being a leadership coach because. Uh, so AdaptPath, the consultancy that i co-founded was acquired by the bank capital one here in the united states in 2014 and uh i was working in-house working alongside a lot of different leaders across all of their uh capital one's different business units and i came to realize that you know it wasn't a lack of expertise it wasn't a lack of skill it wasn't a lack of knowledge it wasn't a lack of process that was holding the teams that were less successful back. Uh, What was holding those teams back were the skills of the leader and uh, their ability, especially their ability to uh, hold a team together through difficult times, to uh, prevent whatever the storms are that might be sort of battering the ship at the moment to kind of prevent, to be able to prevent that stuff from actually affecting the team's ability to get the job done and get get to where they're going. Um, and what I found in my experience working with the leaders within Capital One was that uh, an enormous amount of that, again, really depended on their on their skill at relationship development. How effectively were they able to cultivate and manage their relationships with all of the different partners that a that, uh, design needs to uh, intersect with in the course of product development? The product people, the engineering people, the business people, all of those kinds of relationships. How effectively were they able to manage all those kinds of relationships? How effectively were they able to manage the relationships that they had with the various members within their team? And then also how effectively were they able to manage the relationships between members of their team? How effectively were they able to step in and clear the way and facilitate the negotiations that'll get the team over those little points of friction when people don't see eye to eye? So uh, there's a degree of conflict resolution skill that's involved in that. It's definitely communication skill. A lot of it is just presence and awareness. Most of the time, leaders are so distracted by all of the different things they're being asked to do, all of the various uh, pressures of delivery and people management and keeping uh, up with the various corporate imperatives that are driving the choices that you have to make, uh, and then you know managing all the relationships with your own peers as a leader. As a, a, another part of that process, the the leaders are often under so much pressure and have so much going on that they are not really present with or aware of the dynamics going on within their teams. And so, yeah. uh, I think that that's when when we talk about missing skill sets, um, part of it is just having the opportunity to practice <laughs> those skill sets by structuring your work in a way that allows you to be um, to be there. Free people.
0: Yeah. So I want to go to another direction. We're both yeah. designers and we create digital products and we create the technologies that people live with today and in the future. And I'm interested to hear from you. To what extent do you think that designers should take a stand in the product direction and its influence on the users' lives?
1: Well, I think that is um, that is an interesting question because it is something that we, you know, we historically have always felt. I think that in the UX community, we've always felt that design had a uh, had something to say because design was often closest to the um, the deeper understanding of the users and user psychology and user needs and those kinds of things. And so. Uh, you know, I've always felt that we brought an important voice to the mix, to um, to, to champion that perspective. Uh, but I think that also a lot of people take that role on as something of a crusade. Uh, they tend to treat it as, um, you know, a religious war. <laughs> And, uh, and that's not constructive. Um, It has to be um, a mix of voices that brings about the product, the product direction, the product strategy. Um, So, yes, I think that design should have a voice and should take a stand. uh, But not just taking a stand because, you know, we're designing, we said so, but taking a stand that's rooted in a real understanding of of users and if you're not the ones who have that understanding then no you shouldn't be the ones making that yeah
0: scheme. so the, the thing that comes to my mind while we're talking is the social dilemma movie do you know that most of the people oh, who yes. talk there they're designers right and yeah. we see the, the influence of our creations on people lives and, and right. what they're doing right yeah does yeah, that yeah. come up to your like do you think about when you're taking some of your projects and Who do you want to lead and what kind of enterprise you
1: want to work with? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think that we all, one of the things that comes up a lot in my work as a coach um, is the simple question, why, why do you do what you do? And for a lot of design leaders, that question was clearer when they were a designer than it becomes when they're a leader. Uh, When they're a leader, they will often find themselves confused or just distracted by priorities that aren't really their own, that aren't the reasons why they started doing this in the first place, that aren't the things that really motivate them, uh, and that aren't the things that make them successful. They end up chasing promotions that they don't know why they want them uh they find themselves you know with this um imprinted with this desire to lead ever bigger teams and 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 ever larger product portfolios and and you know make things bigger 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 uh and they get lost they they get disconnected from their own sense of purpose And so connecting uh, leaders with a sense of purpose is one of the really essential things that I do because uh, if they don't have that, then they're just gonna be sort of blindly chasing whatever's put in front of them. And that's how you end up, oh, I suddenly find myself working for a company that's doing terrible things in the world. Because you were just chasing something that you didn't know why you wanted it, and you you didn't have your own point of view about what you wanted to be doing, what you wanted to be doing in the world, what you wanted to be contributing to the world. All you knew was you wanted to be doing some design for digital products. And I think that that's the big difference, is uh, the people who have a sense of what they're doing and why will tend to do that from a more compassionate place and choose not to work on uh, exploitive, products. Of course, if you find yourself in a position like that, then you obviously have choices to make if you uh, suddenly discover that something's being done that you... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I
0: think that in general people want more. It's like something that we have in the Western world and people want more in their in private life and in in their in, in their salary in what they're getting in, in being right. in bigger teams as you say. So I don't know if it's specifically for design. I would say that many of the professions are doing so, but it's in agile. the case of, yes, <laughs> this is what yeah. I feel. But in the case of design. It's like I, I'm going back to this movie because I know that we know the mechanism that will create a dependency on the product. That will make people view it more. It will make people to react in some way that is beneficial for the company and not for sure beneficial for the end users. And right. we're doing it because it's our job. This is what we're supposed to right. do. We have this, you know, KPI: how many yeah, yeah. times they came in yeah. how much time they were in the platform, so forth. And, and sometimes we're, as you said, we're losing track on what we want to really create right. and, and how influential we are on, on the world, on the technologies that, that are created. And sometimes we could say, okay, if we will not do, do so, somebody else will do so, right? So yes. some, some yes. other designer will do so. But for me, it's, it's really important because we have these talents. Yes. It's so obvious that we're talented, you know, like I don't know if, everyone in the product creation process, uh, product, uh, developers, managers, they all feel that they're talented. And I'm sure that this word is very attached to designers. They know that right. they are talented and they're thinking, where should I place my time and, and talent? And, right. you know, I...
1: Right, right. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. Design, as the ones who are responsible for user psychology, definitely has a, a lot more to say about what constitutes manipulation uh, and what constitutes really what we're talking about is user abuse and um, uh, i I do think that we have a responsibility to again have a point of view and to um, to have done some thinking about what what constitutes crafting an experience to serve people versus c- crafting an experience to manipulate people.
0: Yeah, and, and we, we both agree that once you have the ability to persuade and you have the, the capability to uh, change decisions, you have much more impact on the product. While in some cases, especially if you're a young designers or a young team and you don't have that much power in the organization, you're just delivering. That, that's
1: right. all you're doing right 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 yes I think that's exactly right
0: okay so I want to ask you about the connection between agile methodologies and how it influenced UX yeah. and how do you see this change
1: yeah well I mean there's a lot there because um, honestly agile and UX are both they're different solutions to the same problem which is the problem of uh, not being able to get software made, um, but you know, coming at it from very different perspectives, uh, the um, the UX perspective is very. I think the you know the the big difference is that the UX perspective is very holistic. It's very much about looking at the product as a whole, and then making your decisions based on that. Uh, whereas agile, of course, takes that whole sort of big ball of product and unwinds it and unspools spools it and turns it into a linear sequence of things to be created. And um, of course the complaint of designers is that creatively that's not always the way that it needs to go. That often you end up uh, because you are taking on that work in these little parcels uh, of uh, development time that you're only solving design decisions in through these very narrow lenses, these very narrow views in the same way. Um, We are, you know, we're getting better at at integrating the methodologies. Um, I think that the agile, the every, you know, agile evangelist I've ever had a conversation with about integration of UX and Agile has been very, very positive about, uh, about the, the prospect of it and the need for integration of UX and Agile. The challenge is that when it comes to implementing these things in organizations, Agile is often used as an excuse to disempower UX.
0: Because it's a development methodology and, and developers are leading these organizations. It's not only the leaderships comes from development, they have lots of power, even if they're not leaders, right?
1: Yeah, well, there's, there inevitably there are always more engineers than there are designers. So then mm-hmm. it feels like a bigger, um, a, a more urgent question for the organization. What are we going to do with all of these engineers? We, it's okay if we have a couple of designers in the corner who are spinning their wheels a little bit, but we got to keep the engineers fed with yeah. uh, with work to do. And so uh, that then starts to become kind of the, the overriding concern of the organization. Um, and then engineering, of course, being the ones responsible for the ultimate delivery uh, are always the ones in the position to be able to... Um, finally dictate what is and is not possible. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's it's through that lens uh, in these um, sprint retrospectives that is where the um, these issues really end up getting debated and resolved between design yeah. and engineering.
0: I think that what, what we're missing is this high level view that we had in the past, and now it's like cut into these small sprints. And it's like a manufacturing line that you need yes. to go and create, create, create it. And when you're doing these manufacturing line deliveries, you're forgetting what is the goal, why are doing, what we've done, what we want to achieve. It's like very, very practical. And right. sometimes the strategy is lost. Right. When you're doing yeah. That.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. That, uh, or, you know, it, it can feel like each piece of is crafted exactly right. And then you try to put them together and it just turns into a jumbled mess uh you know it's interesting because um you know you 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 i think you touched on something really important there which is the um the need for context the need for that big picture understanding and as a designer when you are working it's much it's very difficult to know when you're gonna you're going to be working your way through a design problem. And you'll suddenly stumble into some aspect of it that opens out into something much larger with much larger significance for the entire product. That's a thing that happens for designers all the time. That is a thing that very rarely happens for developers. Yeah. Uh, in because of the nature of their work and because of the way that they are able to structure their work, that those yeah. kind of that narrower focus. Um, it doesn't create issues for development in the way that it does for design. And so uh, I think that there's an important challenge there too. And maybe maybe the issue with um, integrating UX and Agile, the real challenge is helping designers in an Agile environment stay oriented to the larger context that they're working within.
0: Yeah. I think it's it's related to the fact that, as we said, that these are the characteristics of a designer, while a developer is very analytical. They're looking things like, this is what the task is, and they're analyzing and they're creating a result which is very, very oriented and focused. While yeah. in design, sometimes we're doing things that start here and then it gets here, and we did not really calculate it in the beginning. Right. And, and therefore, this manufacturing line, which is very strict and cut, is sometimes you could deliver things, but what the quality is and what is the influence on the whole product and the experience, that's the question
1: here. Yeah. Manufacturing lines are fantastic for problems that have been thoroughly explored and completely understood, right? That is like, you don't, on on a production line for a car or any other kind of a product, you don't have individual workers on on the factory line having to solve new problems that are going to influence the shape of the pro- final product. It doesn't happen that way. It can't happen that way. The entire line would break down if you, if, if you did it that way. So uh, I think that's a, a critical difference between this kind of work and that, and that production model, as you say, it does require taking more of a step back.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask you, what do you love most about working as a design leadership coach?
1: Um, you know, I love, um, I love helping individuals be more successful. It's been, you know, so great to go through the experiences of building a company and scaling up teams and publishing books and, you know, all of the other kinds of stuff that I've done, uh, and none of it quite gives me the same kind of satisfaction I get from sitting down with somebody and helping them figure out how to become something more than they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is in some ways the most profound work that I've ever done. Uh, and, and, and the most satisfying because uh, just from a practical perspective, you know, as a consultant, I might be able to deliver uh, a, a couple of successful projects a year. And as a design leader within an organization, I might be able to oversee, you know, the, the delivery of some number larger than that, maybe a couple of dozen, uh, if I'm really lucky. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. clears throat> but in the work that I'm doing now, by influencing these leaders and the way that they lead their teams and the way that they choose to do their work, I'm not just influencing everything they deliver this year, I'm influencing everything they deliver next year and the year after that and the year after that. So it's an opportunity to scale my influence and scale my impact in a really meaningful way. Uh, and then there's just the human dimension of it, the, uh, um, the feeling of it's just really rewarding to be um, supporting individuals instead of initiatives and ideas these days.
0: Yeah, I totally understand you on that, on that one. I think that this human connection, especially after these two years of doing everything remote, everything is very distant. And now, like just looking at people in the eye and just understanding where they are and what they need and accommodating that is so much uh, heartwarming as I see it. And so I totally understand that yeah so we're almost done and I have my last question what is your number one tip for leaders today
1: Number one tip for leaders today slow down figure out somehow find a way I know it seems impossible find a way to slow down find a way to create space for yourself in your time in your in your day in your week uh, to breathe, <laughs> to, hey, good start. to, to step away and reflect. Um, too many leaders are, they're trying to, to, to make decisions by in this, by sprinting from one meeting to the next and just like rapidly moving through as much as they can. And, uh, they don't have, uh, they don't give themselves the time and space to, again, to connect with what do they really want? What's what what purpose do they want to achieve through their work and uh, to make decisions that are grounded in that place of what do they want uh, to create for themselves and what do they want to create in their relationships with others?
0: Yeah, slow down. Yeah, (laughs) I I, I love your your advice. and, And I think that sometimes people will tend not to not to do it because it's much easier to run without calculating where to and, yeah. and most people do that and maybe most of their life, some of their life in some of their domains in their lives. Because yeah. just stopping it. sometimes is too scary and um, just to think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well and also I think that um, you know, especially here in the United States, uh, we have this strong association uh, of um, inactivity seems like laziness to Yeah, uh, like being
0: is something that doesn't make sense. You need to do something.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So creating more space for being and not feeling like you have to be doing in order to be providing value, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that uh, uh, it's very easy to your point. It's very easy to just keep on doing because it feels productive to do, to be like knocking out those emails and checking off those to do's. Um, But if you're constantly doing, you don't create space for being, you're not going to be able to show up as effectively as you want to.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that sometimes people don't even, it's more than just saying, if we're doing, we're providing value. It would say, like, if we're doing, we're valuable. Yes. Yeah,
1: we are are valuable. We are valuable. We just are.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Sure. And where could people hear more about your work and contact you?
1: Sure thing. Uh, You can find out more about uh, me and my work at my website, jessejamesgarrett.com. I also uh, co-host a a podcast of my own. It's called Finding Our Way. I do it with uh, my friend, Peter Merholtz, who co-founded Adaptive Oh, I
0: didn't know that, I'm gonna listen. We
1: we have a lot of wonderful, interesting conversations uh, with folks just like you about, uh, about all of this stuff on the podcast, so I encourage folks to check that out. Finding Our Way can be found on all of your favorite podcast engines.
0: Wow. So I, I'll do that. That's the next thing. I'm going to put it in my Spotify to, to listen. Fantastic. To. But, Very cool. Yeah. So Jesse, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed our talk. And I think we have so much in common, so we could have another another session like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So thank, thank you so you. much. This has been great.
0: Yeah, and it's been so much fun and, and you have such a great smile that I feel like <laughs> people would miss that if they just listen to the podcast. So go and view
1: the video. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: <laughs> sure. And to all of you change makers out there, thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about what I do, go to invincibleinnovation.com and I'll see you next week with another innovative insightful talk. See ya. I'm Adima Zor-Kario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening.